We are in this morning in the book of 1 John. So why don't you rise for the reading of God's word? 1 John chapter 2. Rise for the reading of God's word where you go through the Bible here at Calvary Chapel, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. First John chapter 2, verse, let me see what we should do here, 9, says this, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord, we want to do your will. We want to know what the will of God is. We want to walk in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Guide us and lead us, Lord. Teach us your grace, teach us your character, teach us about justice, mercy, and how those meet at the cross. Lord, breathe life into this service now. We thank you, you've already been doing that. Lord, we ask that you continue in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So last week we were in verses nine through 11. We talked about love and hate. Verse 10 says, He who loves his brother abides or lives in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling. I mean, if you love your brother, you're not going to, you're going to find that it's a lot harder to fall on your face in your Christian life. The verse before it in verse 9 of chapter 2 says, He who hates his brother is in darkness. Verse 11 says, he who hates his brother is in darkness, and the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so we talked about that word hate, and, you know, we, we looked at ourselves, uh, you, we, we talked about this, you know, we don't look at ourselves, we don't think of ourselves as people who hate. I mean, that is what murderers do. Nice people like me, I don't, we don't do that. Hmm, maybe not. Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 20 through th- uh, 22, he said this. He said, you have heard it was said, you shall not murder. 
and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, raka, meaning like, you idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be subject to the fire of hell. Oh my, maybe I'm not such a nice guy after all. The Bible says that the root of anger is hatred. The root of unforgiveness is hatred. The root of bitterness is hatred. John is saying, you got to bring that darkness to the light. He talks a lot about darkness and light five times in the first 20 verses of this letter. He mentions the word darkness. Five times he mentions the word light. So you've got to bring that darkness to light, and you have to love your Brother, love your sister. So that is verses 9 through 11. Now, this morning, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to skip over verses 12 and 14 and go to 15 through 17. I'm going to take a look at them first. As most of you see in your Bibles, verses 12 through 14, they're sort of indented and they're kind of sandwiched in between verses 9 through 11 and, and verses 15 through 17. I think. Those verses, verses 12 through 14, they will make more sense if we first study verses 15 through 17. So that's what we're going to do. Verse 15 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So, the first 10 or 11 verses of this chapter, chapter 2, we're told, number one, to love God. Verse 5 says to love God of this chapter. Verse 10 says we're to love our brother, love our sister. Here in verse 15, we're told not to love. We're told what not to love. Don't love the world or the things of the world. So that's where we are. So before these indented verses in verses 12 through 14, we're told to love God and love our brother. And then immediately after we're saying, uh, John says, but here's what you don't love. Don't love the world, or else the love of the Father is not in you, is what he says. Now, if the Bible is telling me not to love the world, I need to know what it means by the world here. There's a lot of confusion about that. There's a lot of religion and legalism and wrong views about what the Bible means by do not love the world. So I want to spend a little time on that, what that means. What is the word? What does he mean by the world? Let's remember, again, John talks a lot, both in this letter and in the Gospel of John, about darkness and light. I've already talked about that. He uses those words a lot. He uses phrases like walking in darkness, and darkness will blind you. 
So review time. What does that mean? Darkness. When he uses the word darkness, what is he talking about? Darkness. Okay. That's not exactly what we've said. That's true. Darkness is sin. But what does that mean? What do we say darkness is? It's anything that what? Not in the light, right? You're getting close. What does darkness mean? Anything that what? We keep God out of. Any area of life that we shut God out, that we refuse to let him in. That's how, he, that's, that's how the, he's using the term darkness. That's right. And so um, he uses the word the world in more or less the same way. It's more or less means the same thing here, the world. The phrase the world is man or woman or mankind keeping God out, refusing to let him in or shutting him out or worse, mocking him or worse, Opposing him or his word, the world, darkness, more or less the same thing. So verse 15 says, do not love the world or anything or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So now I'm going to take some time to to talk about this a little more. Let's dive a little deeper here. When people look at this verse. Inevitably, they say something like, do not love the world or the things of the world. Does that mean I can't enjoy an NBA basketball game? Or a football match? Or a dance contest? Or a concert? Does it mean that? I love what John Piper says about this. I love it. You're not going to like what he has to say. He's going to go deep. Get ready to go deeper. Anyone ready to go deep? Anyone ready to be challenged? He says this, speaking about this exact same verse, what John means here when he says, do not love the world or the things of the world. He says this, when reading this verse, someone will ask, should I not desire dinner? Should I not desire a job? Should I not desire a spouse, a husband or wife? Should I not desire the child in my womb? Should I not desire a healthy body or a good night's rest or the morning sun or a great book or an evening with friends? The answer is no, unless it is a desire for God. Do you desire dinner because you desire God? Do you want a job? Because in it, you will discover God and love God. Do you long for a spouse? Because you're hungry for God and hope to see him or her and love him or her in your partner. Do you desire the child and the healthy body and the good night's rest and the morning sun and the great book and the evening with friends? For God's sake, do you have an eye for God in everything you desire. I like that so much, I'm going to put it up on the projection screen. Do you have an eye for God in everything you desire? So listen. Listen, listen, listen. I may go to an NBA basketball game, a dance contest, a concert, which have nothing to do with God in and of themselves, but the experience can be all about him. Why? 
because I have an eye for God in everything I do. Because I'm, I'm going to make the experience all about God, which, listen, is not a hard thing to do. You know why? Do you know why? It's not a hard thing to make any or many most experience all about God. Do you know why that's not a hard thing to do? Because the Bible says this, the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth is filled with the glory of God. It's not too hard in art and music and dance and entertainment and work and play and your family and friends and people to make the whole experience about God. And as you grow older as a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It seems strange. Some of you in here may be thinking, this is really, this is like about monks and people. No, no, no. As you grow older in the grace and knowledge of God, The whole experience can be about God and music and dance and entertainment and work and so forth. You say, give me a Bible verse about that. I want to see a Bible verse. Okay. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Underscore that word, all there. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Next verse, Colossians 3.17, and whatever, whatever means whatever, not whatever. It means like everything. I'm I'm glad I clarified that. (laughs) And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's another quote by John Piper. I love it. If you love God with all your heart, then every room you enter will be a temple of love to God. All your work will be a sacrifice of love to God. Every meal will be a banquet of love with God. Every song will be an overture of love to God. Now, folks, am I there yet? Of course not. But I love this because this is what I get to look forward to as I grow closer and closer to Jesus. This is what life is about. It's about every room you enter being a temple of love to God, your work a sacrifice to him, every meal a banquet of love, every song an overture of love to God. It's good stuff. On the other hand, let's go back to our verse. Verse 15, loving the world. So what it means here is this, loving the world, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. In verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Loving the world here means loving what the world has to offer you without inviting God into the experience. As some of you just last night, you went in and you did something 
may not have even been a bad thing. Or maybe it was, but you consciously did not invite God in. It's called loving the world. I know a lot about that myself. Spent a good deal of my life not inviting God into anything I was doing. So a lot of what the world has to offer in art and music and dance and entertainment and work and leisure, if God is invited in, it can be a God-glorifying experience. But of course, it's also true that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that the world has to offer in art and music and dance and entertainment. If you invite God into it, he will very quickly invite you out. Why? Because there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot out there in the world where God, where what God meant for good, man has taken it and twisted it and contorted it and poisoned it and uses it to feed the worst part of us, the worst basis part of us. And God does not want you to be part of that. So let him into whatever you're doing. If you're not supposed to be doing it, he'll invite you right back out. The Bible says that a person who is a Christian has made Jesus their Lord, which means master. Get to obey him. You got to say yes or no. You got to decide, is he my Lord or not? So many times I've had to walk out of a movie. I remember the first time I did that. I was 25 years old, been walking with God for about a year or something. Many times I've had to do that or some other kind of entertainment or turn off the TV or change the channel. And it's a simple question. How can I continue watching this and say the love of the Father is in me? Who am I kidding? I'm certainly not kidding God. He's inviting me out. Again, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, verse 16, that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, it is of the world. So, let's briefly talk about these three things. The, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This verse here says that's sort of what the world is, is made um, up of. That is the world that is you know, taken back from God and made it its own. What are these three things? There's a lot of debate, actually, about these three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What are they? Well, let me do my best, and I'll keep it brief. The lust of the flesh, what is it? The lust of the flesh is that part of us which wants to take pleasures which have been given to us by God and use them in a way that is opposed to the way that God has directed us to use them. Sex, eating, drinking, all given to us by God is a gift, a wonderful gift, but using them in a way that gratifies us and not the Lord. Let me just put up one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I just love it. I can't help it, guys. The leech has two daughters. Give, give. You're thinking, has he lost his mind? What, what in the world is this about? Look at, look at the Spanish. The Spanish, la sanguijuela. See, they got it right. The bloodsucker. <laughs> the bloodsucker has two daughters. Give, give. I, you know, I'm going to go to another translation, which I think you'll understand a little bit more. The blood-sucking leech. 
This is the names of God version translation. It is a translation. The blood-sucking leech has two daughters. Gimme, gimme. That's the lust of the flesh. It's taking pleasures that God has given to us as the gift. Gimme, gimme. It's all about me. All these pleasures. Not about God. Never invite God in. Gimme, 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 gimme. Everyone get it? Is that now in your top 10 verses or what? Come on. The blood-sucking leech has two daughters. Gimme, gimme. Oh, anyway, I love it. Sorry. Um, but th- that's, that's the lust of the, uh, of the flesh. The lust of the eyes is different than the lust of the flesh. What is it? It's coveting. Coveting. Wanting something that is not yours and coveting it. That's the lust of the eyes. I don't like the fact that my neighbor has a car, a husband, and a jacuzzi, and I don't have those things. That's the lust of the eyes. It's coveting. And nothing necessarily wrong with a car, a husband, or a jacuzzi. But there's something wrong with refusing to be content with what God has given you and coveting what God has given someone else. The, The lust of the eyes. Number three, the pride of life. Very easy. This is an easy one. It's that the intoxication of having the approval and admiration of the world. The pride of life. The intoxication of having the approval and the admiration and the praise of the world. Man, we are obsessed with that. John says in, in verse 15, do not love the world, or the, uh, rather verse 16, he says, in all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it is of the world. So all of this, briefly, brothers, sisters, don't kid yourself, please. All this involves a choice by you, a choice. Are you going to love the world or are you going to love God? If you choose the lust of the flesh, if you choose the lust of the eyes, if you choose the pride of life and you choose it again and again and again and again, your love for the world will grow, 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 grow until it takes over. And the love of the Father will no longer be in you. And that's what verse um, 15 says. It says it just takes over. The love of the Father will no longer is in you. Don't kid yourselves, brothers and sisters. The choice is yours. And the good news is that we can choose to say no. Titus chapter 2 says the grace of God By the grace of God, we can say no to these things, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We can choose to say no to the world. I want to talk a little bit about how, and that's where verses 12 through 14 comes in. So let's now read. Let's now back up and read 12 through 14. In verses 12 through 14, John reminds the reader, he reminds you, he reminds me who we are in Christ. He says in verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, you for his name's sake. And when he says little children... Don't think you can tune out because, oh, this is the five to seven-year-old class and they're over there in Sunday school. He's talking about you. Look at verse one of the same chapter. My little children, 
these things I write to you so that you may not sin. He's talking, this guy is a 90-year-old man now. He's talking to basically everybody. Uh, Man, woman, child, older person. My little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake, I'm writing to you. And then he says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, and he goes back to little children, meaning all of us, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and because the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So what's going on here? What's up with these indented verses? Well, notice, they're sandwiched in between what? Two commands, basically, where he's telling you to love God and love your brother and sister on the one side, right before it, and right after it, he's saying, and by the way, don't love the world. Now, one reaction to that, to, to those two commands is, it's just to say, that's impossible. <laughs> You're kidding me. You want me not only to love uh, my brother and love God, you actually want me to not love the world? Sorry, I'm surrounded by the world all day. And, but what he's doing in these middle verses, verses 12 through 14, is he's reminding them who they are in Christ. That's what he's doing. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Apostle Paul and his writings, Paul does very much a similar thing. If you look, for example, in Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians and the Colossians, 1 Corinthians, what does he do? He spends the first few chapters just telling people, the Christians, reminding them who they are. He says, in Christ, you're blameless before God. In Christ, you've been made whole. In Christ, you are complete. Don't go obeying silly little man-made rules and regulations to try to make yourself good. You are complete in Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life for you. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead and was resurrected to pour out life in you. You are perfect in Christ. Yes, those are verses from the Bible. And then what does he do? He goes on and says, in light of all that, here's how you go about loving God. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You're kidding me. How do I do that? I just told you who you are in Christ. You now have the power to do that. You've been given the gift of life. You have the life in order to do that. And he he goes on. He says, pursue love. And that means bearing with all things, Believing all things and enduring all things. You're kidding me. How can I do that? I told you at the beginning of the letter. John here does it right in the middle of the letter. Instead of beginning the letter like that, as Paul does, he just puts it right in the middle, right in the middle of these two things that it's not easy. It's not easy to love a lot of people. I said, there's people in my life very difficult to love. Loving God, 
Bible says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. That's not an easy thing to do. Not loving the world, not easy, but he reminds them. He says in verse 12, just remember, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So in other words, we read earlier in, in, in John, he's reminding them, now re- remember, remember who you are. So I'm asking you to, to love God, love people, and not love the word. You've, you've had your sins forgiven. You've had them cleansed. You've been given power over them, the Bible says. Remember that, little children, all, all of you, is what he's saying. Remember, thir- verse 13, he says, I write to you fathers, because you've known him from the beginning. He repeats the same thing at the end of verse 13. He says, remember, little children, because you have known the Father. Now, that word known, it's not, it, it doesn't mean, well, you know about the Father. You know about God. What he's telling them is, remember, you know God personally now. Now, many of us spent the better part of our lives in churches, a good part of our lives in churches. We didn't know God. I really did. I did not know God until I was 24. I, I mean, I knew things about God. I know facts about God, but I didn't know God any more than I know President Obama. <laughs> I know some things about him. His dad was born in Kenya. And his mom was born here, but I didn't know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know, I, I don't know him personally. I knew about God, or, or I thought I did. I thought he was a hard taskmaster. I thought, man, he, he, he's like a, he's a hard taskmaster, this God. And he has sort of reluctantly has given me permission to live in his world. That's what I thought about God. But people who know God personally don't think things like that because the Bible doesn't say any of those things about God. I, I thought I knew about God. I thought in order to have a relationship with God, in order to pray to him, I need to be good enough. I need to obey the Ten Commandments in such a way that it's, it's, I'm doing a pretty good job. Anyone who believes that doesn't know God because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all our best things that we do for God are like filthy rags when put next to his righteousness. That's the book of Isaiah. But what he's telling him here, he says, fathers, and he says, little children, he goes, remember, you know the father. You know him. You know that he so loves you that he has sent his only son in, in the world to live that perfect life that he wants to credit to your account. He, he, he rose from the dead and he poured out the Holy Spirit, which by the way is called the promise of the Father. So when he's telling them, you know the Father, it includes all this stuff. They know that they've been given the Holy Spirit by the Father. They know that. And, and, and so he's reminding them who they are. And he's saying, you can do all this. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are. He says in verse, um, at the end of verse 
14, he says, I've written to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you, lives in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. I remember as, as a new believer about a year into the Lord, I was so excited when I wrote this, when I read this. Wow. That's true. I have overcome the wicked one. Guys in here today, young men, if you have not overcome the enemy of your soul, you're getting ripped off. You're forgetting who you are. It says, I write to you, young men, because you're strong. I write to you, young men, because the word of God lives in you. Now, some of you may be thinking, why all this stuff about fathers? Yeah, it says little children, that applies to all of us. Why all this stuff about men? Why is this, you know, he seems to be focusing on men here. What's, what's up with that? I would say that's pretty relevant to us, don't you? In the year 2015, we have a man crisis in the United States of America. We have a man crisis in the church. A man crisis. You know why? Because, oh man, if you, if you take this seriously and you say, um, I write to you young, young men because you're strong. There's a lot of people out there saying, oh, are you saying that women aren't strong? Getting all uptight. Are you, you're suggesting that maybe women aren't? The Baltimore crisis. CNN did an article, of all people, to quote in a positive way, a CNN article. <laughs> it says, the Lord of Flies comes to Baltimore. Is it the Lord of the Flies, man? Anyone remember this from high school? It's all you, you younger people aren't raising your hand. They're not a classic literature. You're not reading it. Lord of the Flies was this book about um, a bunch of young, uh, boys who got shipwrecked on, into an island, and there was no adults there, and it just turns into a savage civil war. You know, these boys. Lord of the Flies comes to Baltimore. And the subtitle is this. If you want to destroy a people, first break their men. That's what it says. You want to, and that's true. You want to destroy a nation? You want to destroy a church? You want to destroy the church in the United States of America? You destroy their men. You'll destroy it. So this guy, he's, he's a guy who comes back to Baltimore, and he grew up there. He says, I walked through my old streets. It was filled with nothing but black young women, children, and teenage boys. It was as if an alien spaceship had come in the night and speared away all the older black men. Now, let's not kid ourselves. We live in the city. This is just as true for Hispanic communities, and it's just as true for white communities. You know that. Let's not kid ourselves. I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And today, we don't want to say. Churches are all afraid of saying, young men, you're the leader of your home. When you say that in a church today, everyone's up in arms. But you cannot Take the Bible and read it and reach any other conclusion. And let me tell you, what will happen if you tell young men they're not the leader of their home? Baltimore. 
they're out of here, man. I'm not making excuses for us, but we have it in us. We're out. Adam sinned. What did he do? He hid. Cain sinned. Genesis chapter four. What did he do? He disappeared. That's what we do, us God. If we're not told specifically in, in, in the word of God, you're the leader, you step up to the plate, we're out of here. Ladies, please, please, you got to support your men. I know it sounds like we're a bunch of weaklings, but you got to do it. We need your support here. Church is no different today. You know, in missions trips or whatever, women, you know, 80% women. Christian colleges, 70% women. Why? Men were told, you know, you're not the leaders. And they're all hiding. They're in hiding. God has a beautiful plan. He's got a beautiful plan. Let's not be like postmodern cool people and think we know better than God. Let's just not do that. Here's, here's what happens when, when we, uh, we decide to, uh, that we know better than God. Baltimore happens. Boston happens. It says here, young men, the word of God, you are strong. It says, and the word of God lives in you. And young men, this is young men, old men, fathers, and little children. The word of God, so important. The word of God, so important. Look what's happened the last 50 years where we have abandoned the Bible. It's this old-fashioned book. Look what's happened. I'll tell you what happened. What's happened. Here's another great article. It's from The Economist. <laughs> it's called The Road to Character, and the subtitle is, um, You Are Not Special. Okay? So in this book, it's called The Road to Character by David Brooks. He's, he's not a Christian. He's just a guy observing. He's not a Christian at all, just observing what's happening in our society. Listen to this. He says, the proportion of American teenagers who believe themselves to be very important. I, I, sorry, I, I'm just laughing as I read this. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to st start over. The proportion of American teenagers who believe themselves to be very important jumped from 12% in 1950 to 80% in 2005. On a test that asked subjects to a disagree or agree with statements such as, someone should write a biography about me, 93% of young Americans emerge as being more narcissistic, meaning in love with themselves, than the average of 20 years ago. And then he says, try to follow me here, in, in the road, this is a book review, in the road to character, that's the name of the book, uh, Mr. Brooke charts the change in popular culture that made this possible. This involves digesting troughs full of tripe, such as Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love, a bestseller that tells women that God dwells within you as yourself exactly the way you are. Then it says, Mr. Brooks claims to be the only man ever to finish this book. <laughs> and he ends... <laughs> it took you a little while. And then he, and then he ends it by saying... It, the, the book review ends by saying, if you want to be reaffirmed, Rather, if you want to be reassured that you are special, you will hate this book. 
But if you like thoughtful polemics, it's worth logging off Facebook and giving it a read. So um, the abandonment of the word of God, and all the word of God does is, is, is teach us, well, among other things, that we got a problem. We're full of ourselves, and we got to pay a lot more attention to God. And we do that by going to, to, to God and saying, I'm sick of living on the throne of my heart. You sent your son into the world to uh, live a, a life, a perfect life for me, die on the cross for me, and raise from the dead. And you're, Jesus, you're now um, knocking on the door of my heart. Come in, and you get on the throne. Because I'm tired of my life being all about me. That's the word of God. It says, I've written to you fathers because you have known who, him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. And so that's sandwiched between these two, these two admonitions, these two commands. Love God. Love your brother or sister. It doesn't matter how they're behaving. It doesn't matter how much, you, you know, they, they grind on you. You got to love them. And then after, and do not love the world. And you can do it. Why? Because of who you are in Christ. So we're going we're gonna to stop there this morning and I ask the worship team to come up if you've been asked to, to pray. You come up, get anything on your mind, anything that's stirred... Uh, in you during the sermon, you can come up um, and pray while the, the closing song is being played. I want to remind everyone tonight, every two or three months, we have a time where rather than hearing about my life stories, you're going to tell your life stories and you're going to bring God in. It's not going to be about you. You're going to be, be a you're going to bring God in and say, this is what God has done in my life. We have an open mic on Sunday nights before our communion service. And communion, you know, communion is something where the, the, the blood, rather the cup represents Jesus' blood that he died on the, uh, that was shed on the cross for our, for, for our sins. And, and, and the bread represents his body that was broken for us. And there's no better way to have communion than just to, 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 to offer him a time where you're just thanking God. So just sharing answered prayer in your life, sharing a spiritual gift in your life, sharing something that you really feel that the church needs to hear, a word or message that you think the church needs to hear. That's what we're doing tonight. Please come out if you can. That's at 6.30 p.m. But uh, right now, why don't you rise, and I'm going to pray. And if you need prayer, please come up. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. Just thank you for this wonderful word this morning. And it's wonderful because it's from you, Lord. We just thank you for that. And Lord, we pray, thanking you that this life, which we know, we've seen it. We know what it's like to love you to love our brother or sister, that's, that's, a, that's a life that works. It is a life that works. It is a life that, that uh, as it says here, it, it, it just makes everything about life prosper, Lord. But 
man, we don't have it in us. We need you. We need the word of God to live in us, meaning to be alive in us, to work through us, to work its way through. I just pray that you do that for every man and woman here this morning. I pray, Lord, that even as the word is growing in us, the world will become less and less attractive. Lord, and, and we'll be able to experience the world the way that you have meant us to experiment. Your word says the world was given to us as a garden for our enjoyment, Lord. We thank you for that. Help us to make every experience of life, Lord, all about you. We're going to start this week. Some of us know little about that. Lord, show us. Show us that way. Lord, we love you. We need you. We just want to worship you now, Lord. In Jesus' name.